Welcome back to the Pacific Century, a Hoover Institution podcast on China, America, the Indo-Pacific, and the fate of the 21st century. I'm your host, Misha Oslin, and I am very pleased to be joined today, this morning, from where he is, from Tokyo, by Noah Snyder, who is the bureau chief in Tokyo for The Economist newspaper. Of course, we would call it a magazine, but they call it a newspaper, which means it's a weekly. And recently, uh, Noah produced a, a really detailed and wonderful special report in December uh, on Japan. And we are here to talk about that today with Noah. So Noah Snyder of The Economist, welcome to the Pacific Century. Misha, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you and, and to have a chance to, to talk about uh, Japan and, and the, the special report. Well, we, uh, you know, I, of course, started off as a Japan person, and we uh, spent a lot of time on the podcast talking about China, talking about the U.S., and not nearly as much about Japan, though we had Kono Taro on when he was the defense minister, and we've, we've talked about it in other uh, cases, but this is really going to be the first deep dive that we can do on Japan working off of your special report, which, again, I recommend to everyone. It was published on December 11th, 2021, and it's one of the Economist special reports, uh, but, but really covers the waterfront. But before I get to that, Noah, I want to ask about you and you being in Japan. Again, uh, you know, I lived in Japan in the 90s, uh, you know, taught it for many years, but this has been uh, a century of China. It's been decades of China. Why are you in Japan? How long have you been in Japan? And and what are you doing there? (laughs) Uh, Great, great questions, all of them. Um, So, I arrived in Japan in March of 2020, uh, literally one week before the um, first, uh, what, what we've been calling in Japan, state of emergency. Um, so just as the pandemic was, was um, uh, uh, getting going. Um, and I came to Japan from uh, Moscow, where I had been living uh, for the past uh seven, eight years before that. So my wow. uh, personal background was, was in, in Russian studies in, um, uh, in, the, in the former Soviet Union. Um, so I had been, been covering, covering Russia, covering Ukraine. Um, and uh, Japan actually was, was sort of, is, is where my family's background is in a lot of ways. Um, so my parents both actually grew up um, in Japan. Uh, my dad's side of the family. Uh, my, my grandfather was a, a diplomat uh, in, in Asia for, for a long time. Um, my dad went on to be a journalist and uh, now scholar uh, at your fine institution. Um, yes. And uh, my mom also was, was a journalist for many years um, in Japan. Um, uh, aunt, several aunts and uncles have lived in Japan um, on and off in different capacities for, for, um, for decades. So uh, I was trying to figure it out when I when I moved here, but I think someone in my family has been living in in Tokyo, pretty much every pretty much uh, uh, cons- consecutively since about 1962. So you can't leave. Uh, I, I know. I, well, I need to at least have someone who can you know take the baton. Um, exactly. Uh, if, if I if I do. Um, well, we so should note your dad is Dan Snyder, who yeah. uh, has been affiliated with Stanford for a very long time. Um, your mom is, I actually don't know your mom. My mom's Elizabeth Rubenfein. So she was covering okay. Japan for the Wall Street Journal here in, in the 80s, um, uh, uh, or for, for Reuters, sorry, when she was here in, in, in Japan. Um, 
and my uncle is Jake Schlesinger, yep. who uh, was the Wall Street Journal bureau chief here for, for a long time um, and wrote a terrific book on um, Japanese politics. Wonderful book called the 90s. Shadow Shoguns. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, uh, and my grandfather was Richard Snyder, who was, um, among other things, was... was uh, uh, deeply involved in, in negotiating the both the U.S.-Japan um, security treaty in 1960, but also the reversion of, of Okinawa, which of course uh, is uh, going to be the, the 50th anniversary of that. Um, uh, just just uh, just about two months from now. Right, right. So it really is the family business, which is rare. Talking about Japan, and and as a side note, I just saw your father and. Uh, uncle-in-law, I guess. Um, yesterday here, uh, I hosted a, um, uh, us Japan global dialogue with HR McMaster. And we had Kurt Campbell, uh, zooming in from the white house. Uh, we had, uh, Senator Bill Haggerty, who was, uh, president Trump's ambassador coming in from the Senate. We had the current Japanese ambassador, ambassador Tomita, uh, John Roos, who was ambassador under Barack Obama, uh, really a, a great collection of, of folks and including the well-represented Snyder family. So this is perfect timing to do, to do a, a deeper dive on Japan. So, um, having now known, uh, about you, uh, and, and the family, let's, let's just get into it because, the report is really interesting, and I think the the underlying motif of the report is is something very important to stress, and uh, something that I and others have tried to stress for a while, which is Japan is still relevant, and Japan shouldn't be overlooked. Maybe in just the most meta sense, and then we'll start getting into some of the details. Can you tell us what you mean, writing for the Economist, that Japan is still relevant? Yeah, it's, uh, uh, you you put your finger on exactly the message I was was hoping to send. So I'm glad it uh, uh, glad it got through. Um, you know, I, I I think for for us at the Economist, these kind of special reports are um, are a good chance to sort of step back and and think about um, the the broader narrative of of a given country or a given topic. Um, to step out of the weekly news cycle in our case. Um, uh, and try and kind of put a, 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 a offer a frame for thinking about a place that might um, you know might, might be useful for readers um, going forward. And I think with with Japan, the there are two kind of narratives that have um, tended to that, that tend to um, tend to hold sway or that tend to be the default for people outside of Japan. Um, for for not necessarily talking about specialists, but for for you know, for our readers, um, uh, gl- global, curious, uh, uh, interested in the world, but not necessarily Japan specialists, and and those um, those two narratives are are either one of of kind of terminal decline. So it's the narrative of um, the narrative of of uh, the lost decades, the extension of the lost decades narrative that Japan is kind of shrinking and aging and no longer. Um, uh, uh, it's, it's power, relative power is, and absolute power are both, um, uh, uh, both in decline and, and, and it's, it's kind of a marginal player in, in, um, whatever happens in, in this century. Um, the, the second narrative is that Japan is, is maybe functional, maybe interesting, uh, um, uh, intriguing, but, but kind of fundamentally strange or fundamentally weird or fundamentally different enough that it's not um, necessarily relevant to uh, life in 
America, Europe, uh, the Middle East, um, any other part of the world, that Japan is this kind of sui generis um, uh, uh, society. And so what happens in Japan is, is kind of um, unique to Japan. So um, what what I try to do in the report is to, to kind of push back against um, against both of those those narratives and and to try to instead offer um, uh, offer a, a lens for looking at Japan that says um, Japan is, is actually kind of on the front line and that Japan is on um, uh, not not necessarily you know uh, doesn't mean Japan is necessarily sort of advanced or that Japan is um, uh, ahead of the curve in in um, uh, in these these arenas or in, in these 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 kind of um, uh, spheres, but that there are a number of spheres where um, Japan's experience, where Japan has sort of been hit earlier or hit more intensely um, by trends that uh, that the rest of the world is is going to to sort of be grappling with or uh, have to grapple with in in the coming decades. Um, so um, demography is is one piece of it, um, maybe the most well trodden. Um, but uh, um, I think you can also look as we do at um, uh, adaptation to um, disaster risk, uh, which um, climate change is, is sort of uh, making the rest of the world um, a bit more Japanified in, in that sense. Um, look at, at mega cities and, and the management of, of um, uh, large agglomerations of, of urban agglomerations. Um, you can look at, at foreign policy and, of course, um, geopolitics of, of Asia, which um, uh, uh, which you know uh, uh, much much better than I do, um, and and at the economy um, and and what um, uh, what folks have called uh, you know secular stagnation. Obviously, the context um, has changed a bit, um, uh, in, at least in terms of inflation since um, the report came out. Um, but I do think the the the, demogra- the question of sort of how demographics impact um, the macroeconomy remains um, very relevant. So, so there are a lot of ways, um, in short, where where Japan's experience um, ought to be um, looked to for for insights, ought to be mined for for sort of policy, um, uh, and ought to be seen as as uh, uh, as highly relevant to, to to life in the 21st century. Well, I like it. It really is a paradigm shift in thinking about Japan from the, the declining or the weird to the front line, or as you have another uh, quote in here, a harbinger state of what's coming for for other states. And and I think that really resonates, certainly with me, uh, from spent decades looking at Japan, but should resonate with others as as a real reason to be looking at Japan. Because with all of these problems, and we're about to we're about to dive deeper into them with all of these problems, um, Japan hasn't collapsed. It, it's not a society that has fallen into anarchy, that's fallen into violence, uh, where where people have simply given up, where the economy has has cratered. Uh, in, instead, you know, from what I see and having, you know, until COVID, of course, traveled uh, extensively, continued to travel fairly extensively around the region, it is still extremely highly regarded. And if you look at public opinion polling, Japan is among the most admired nations uh, in the country, uh, most admired nations in the world. So after, if, if we say that, you know, the, the, the bubble popped in 89, 90, so we're, we're in 30 plus years now, of what one would think would have caused a, a real problem for the country. It has managed its way through. So I think it's, it's worthwhile taking a look at some of that. And I'd like to start with economics. Um, 
Let's be honest. It was economics that got us interested in Japan, uh, of course, post-war after war I'm talking about in the, the 60s, 70s and 80s. Uh, it's economics that caused us to lose interest in Japan and conversely shift our focus to China. So what is the state of the Japanese economy? Is it is it a, a bygone shadow of what it was? Is it no longer important at all? Or have we missed the story of how that economy has evolved? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's somewhere um, somewhere in between. Uh, you know, the 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 reality is not uh, quite as as um, dire as the um, uh, as the the, the latter um, or as the former makes it makes it seem to be. It's not not quite as dire as the the kind of apocalyptic um, uh, uh, visions uh, of Japan's economy have have tended to to be. But uh, at the same time, um, it, you know. There's clearly a lot that could be um, uh, a lot that could be improved. A lot, um, uh, uh, a lot that Japan itself knows it needs to to do, um, uh, and a lot of potential that's just sort of simply not being um, not being tapped. Um, but I, I think the the important sort of starting point for for um, for this conversation, and, and it was really interesting to me doing you know doing the reporting and, and talking to um, talking to folks both. Um, uh, economists uh, and policymakers here in Japan, but also um, those who uh, uh, follow Japan um, closely from from the outside, and and there, there's really a, a kind of a divergence in in perspectives that that I, I picked up on, which is is that for folks sitting, especially in in the U.S., um, Japan uh, Japan's relative functionality and the Japanese uh, ability to quietly um, quietly adapt uh, quietly make you know what seem to be kind of um, marginal or mi- what seem to be minor policy tweaks and policy changes the kinds of things that don't necessarily get picked up in um, in a place like even the economist um, um, uh, that, that aren't that don't are get yourself fired below the below the surface um, uh, that Japan has a kind of um, has had a, 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 an ability to um, to make those adjustments um, that that uh, is, uh, I, I, you know, I would say that some people in sitting in Washington were kind of en- envious of um, that that kind of quiet functionality on 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 Japanese economic policy management, um, whereas people here and 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 are more sanguine about Japan's ability to um, manage um, the the sort of challenges that its economy faces. So I'm talking here in part about um, uh, about management of public debt, um, which you know, so if we if we take a step back, obviously the the, the predictions. Um, uh, if you look back at you know the early two thousands, the late nineties, um, the predictions are that uh, you know uh, Japan's debt is going to be unsustainable. Um, that Japan's on this sort of trajectory uh, that 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 um, that can't possibly be um, can't possibly be sustainable. That um, will inevitably lead to some kind of crash or crisis or, or massive readjustment um, and that that Japan's that the public uh, uh, that the Bank of Japan is has made a massive you know set of errors and, and needs to be doing much more and that's the key to boosting inflation that if only the Bank of Japan were more aggressive um, Japan might um, you know might not be in the mess um, it was in, in in the 90s and early 2000s but you know what we've seen is is uh, at least since 2013, massive monetary easing. Um, so the BOJ kind of unleashes this, uh, you know, bazooka as they call it. Um, and, 
inflation gets up a bit, we get out of deflationary territory, but but doesn't get anywhere near the, the 2% target. Um, and meanwhile, the public debt remains, um, you know, by the, the headline figure, at least, so the, the debt to GDP figure remains, you know, over 200%, um, which, um, again, um, is, is kind of... Uh, uh, for, for, for people uh, a few decades ago would have would have seemed um, unfe- un, un, unfathomable. So so Japan's experience has kind of pushed um, economists to to rethink both um, uh, both the limits of public debt and and what one needs to do, what kind of tools are, are out there to, to to kind of manage public debt in a, um, a low rate um, uh, environment. And second, that you know interest rates can stay below the growth rate. For, for, for a pretty long time or for longer than people expected. And so that there might be kind of structural factors um, uh, leading to that. So it's an interesting moment now because obviously we're seeing you know, massive inflation in, in, um, in the US and in, in, in much of the world and, and even a pickup in inflation here in, in Japan through you know, fuel prices and, and, and kind of external factors. So it's not the, the demand-driven inflation necessarily, but... Um, um, uh, uh, but there, there does seem to be at least if you sort of um, uh, uh, step back from the uh, the immediate pandemic moment, um, there does seem to be a, um, an assumption, at least on the part of markets, that things will, will go back to some um, version of, of where um, of where they they were in terms of, of inflation, and that that um, again has a lot to do with um, with demographics and and um, with kind of structural. Um, structural changes that Japan's been at the forefront of. So I've, I've been rambling here. So let, let me let me stop. No, that's and, great. I actually jump into it. I, you know, and that that monetary stuff is really interesting and important. What what I wanted to ask about um, Japan is: look, we all think of Japan and thought of Japan, um, you know, as a producer, right? That that's where we were, you know, the most focused on Sony and Toyota and all of these other. Uh, places, um, but they've been overtaken. Right? They were overtaken by uh, the, the the Koreans and the Four Tigers. They were overtaken by China. Where does Japan stand in in global manufacturing today? Does it play any role at all, or is it something that that era is just gone? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, uh, th- there's a great book by um, Professor Shada at uh, uh, UC San Diego that that really gets into this. That I'd, I'd recommend, um, which which makes the argument that you know. Um, Japan is is integral still to global supply chains, but what they've done is kind of moved um, up higher, you know, up, up the value added chain. And what they're doing is making um, making kind of niche um, niche components, niche um, uh, uh, niche elements of, of products that um, uh, that you know you don't see necessarily on the surface. So it's not that the iPhone is is you know produced in Japan or or necessarily even designed by Japan, but that it couldn't be made without Japan, um, and so you have that. Um, you know, you, you see that across a, a, a range of, of um, uh, a range of, of um, both, you know, high tech, but um, also sort of manufacturing areas. If you think about, you know, especially robotics and, and in, in industrial manufacturing, um, companies like Fanuc and, and Kians that um, play a, a huge role in in, um, uh, in those industries globally. So, um, so you know, Japan is not clearly not as as visible in um, you know the average person's household. You're not watching TV on. Um, 
uh, Japanese flat screen necess- necessarily. You might have a Panasonic or something, but um, you know you probably aren't using um, Japanese branded consumer electronics in the same way. You aren't carrying a Walkman um, in the way you were um, in you know in the, the sort of Japanese power powerhouse. Wait, does, any, um, does anybody uh, carry a Walkman anymore? You should. I mean, I'm older. <laughs> well, I, think are, I think we're at the. I think we're at the point where a Walkman is sort of retro cool now. Uh, oh, that's you know, awesome. Can, I got uh, some. I so hope. I'm pull them out. Um, yeah, uh, we should be coming to that, you know, uh, that 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 point in the. Um, You're showing uh, your that, age. That, that... <laughs> Next time we're going to be talking about Sony transistor radios. This is this is yeah. great. How well, I want to I want to pull out I want to pull out my old Game Boy from you know, <laughs> from the uh, uh, from the nineties. Um, but right. um, so 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 yeah. So Japan is not um, you know it's not there in that sense, but um, but it, it's very much um, um, you know very much present in in. Um, in the global economy in a way that maybe be- the, the narrative belies. Um, that said, there clearly is, um, you know, an, an issue with um, innovation and there are ways in which um, Japan, um, there are ways in which Japan is um, uh, uh, falling, risks falling behind and, and maybe is, is already sort of um, uh, falling behind in certain industries. And, and, and I think a lot so of it has to I do just jump in right there on, on that, yeah. because that is the point that you raised about the, the, you know, the, the critical role it plays in the, you know, in the global supply chain. So the iPhone is whatever, 40% Japanese, I don't you know, that's not yeah. the exact right number, but, but of course we're all talking about, we're talking about AI, we're talking about 5g, we're talking about these transformative um, technologies that are bringing about what some have called the fourth industrial revolution or, or whatever it is. Uh, where does Japan lie in those? That Because if that's the future and Japan's not a player in the way that the Chinese are, it no longer is the world's major chip producer, though it has certain yeah. technologies that are important. Yeah. Can you tell us about the really high-end stuff? And, and, and eventually we're going to start shifting for folks who are you know, interested in society and politics. We're going to get to that, but you know, maybe wrap up on the the economic yeah. part by talking about the future. Yeah. So I, I think the, the, th- the thing that um, stands out talking to people about what Japan needs, needs to do um, uh, to, to be more competitive in the future and to be more competitive in, in the ways that in the areas you're talking about, um, a lot of it comes back to the labor market and to mm-hmm. labor market reform, to labor market flexibility um, and to sort of changes in not necessarily the only the industrial structure, but in in corporate structure, um, and that the kinds of relationships that that um, uh, the kinds of relationships that um, that made uh, Japan um, that, that powered Japan Inc. in a kind of manufacturing era, um, the you know monogamous. Um, uh, monogamous long-term um, uh, relationships between employer and employee, um, that those are not um, uh, uh, not as, as, as uh, beneficial in a, in a knowledge economy, um, that you actually want people moving, um, uh, you actually want people moving from uh, firm to firm, you want people sharing um, experience and, and knowledge, you want people coming from outside who have um, different perspectives and different backgrounds. And, and I think what you see is, is a real kind of bifurcation in some ways in, 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 in Japan. I mean, if you look at the most, the highest end, the most innovative companies, like if you take, for example, um, Rakuten, um, which is doing, um, you know, uh, uh, doing, doing some really um, 
uh, groundbreaking things with 5G um, with their their sort of open RAN architecture and 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 it's something that's attracted a lot of um, uh, a lot of interest um, uh, not only in Japan but around the world. Um, and if you look at how that's happened inside, um, you know, inside Rakuten and what what has happened inside Rakuten, it's obviously a much more um, globally minded um, company than um, than your average Japanese um, uh, large Japanese company. You know, Mikitani-san has been um, vocal about that um, in both, you know, sort of small. I don't want to say small ways, but in in kind of symbolic ways, like making English the functioning you know, working language inside the company, but also in, in, um, in terms of, of bringing in outside talent. Um, the, the, um, the guy who's, uh, uh, running the, um, uh, the Rakuten, who's, who's really sort of pioneered, um, the Rakuten Open Run, um, project is, is, uh, uh, Tariq Amin. Um, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, he came over, I believe from, um, uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, from from a company in, in India initially, so um, so you know you see sort of uh, um, uh, it's a great example I think of of you know uh, how Japan Inc. if it leverages um, uh, um, leverages both its strengths but also um, a more sort of integrated um, uh, mindset um, can can be very competitive um, uh, and can be uh, uh, can can drive innovation globally. Um, at the same time, you see. Um, you know, a lot of uh, uh, that's probably more of an outlier. Rakuten, in that sense, is probably more of an outlier than the um, uh, um, uh, than than it is representative of your your average um, uh, large Japanese corporation at this point. So, um, you know, th- there's there's a, a definitely a, a shift, and maybe this gets us. Um, somewhat into into other non-economic territory but you know we do see a shift here and I've, I've noticed that even in in the last couple of years um that i've been been living here um in terms of of what what smart younger people are are interested in doing with their lives um a shift away from um you know a, a stable job at a at a large company um with a, with a big name being the the uh, kind of ideal, um, um, uh, ideal path, life path for uh, you know a Todai t- Tokyo University graduate um, towards interest in in startups in um, uh, in smaller more nimble companies in starting your own company. Um, so it's it's uh, still nowhere near um, Silicon Valley, but I do think um, you know we're we're potentially at the beginning of of kind of a new. Um, new generation of of um, uh, Japanese uh, Japanese companies, Japanese firms, Japanese technologies um, starting to emerge, and and of course, you know all of the a lot of the big names, um, uh, certainly in in you know, consumer uh, electronics, that um, uh, uh, the post war names, um, you know, were were essentially startups um, um, uh, in 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 their day, so. Um, it's not that there's there's there there is a tradition of this just as there is a tradition of of trading houses and um uh, uh um uh, you know large uh, uh large conglomerates um so uh so i think that the the innovation piece is is interesting and and um un- unlocking a lot of that potential potential again i think we'll, we'll come back to how um how the labor market um, shapes up, and, and how um, uh, how easy it is, and how acceptable it is, and how um, you know h- how um, 
the regulatory environment um, uh, around um, around jobs and around working culture uh, evolves in, in Japan. So, so you've mentioned um, labor market a couple times. You've mentioned the youth, and that's a really fascinating topic. I'd like to shift now uh, away from the economy, talk about society a little bit. Uh, Japan is, as we know, one of the world's most rapidly aging societies, uh, not the most rapidly aging. I think that's that's probably Taiwan and, and some others, but it's it's obviously very rapidly aging. It's been losing population year on year for, I think, close to a decade now, if not more than a decade. And yet you talked about the youth. So didn't this demographic collapse destroy Japan's future? Isn't, isn't this a country that's going to disappear in, you know, 2567 or, or some year like that? What, how have they maintained a stable first world? I guess we used to call it first world. It shows my age developed economy. If uh, it's the most rapidly aging, there's no babies and, and people are, are all in the sunset years. What's happening? Yeah. So, you know, Part of it is that demographic change, um, you know, demographic change, uh, despite the, the kind of um, dire headlines we sometimes see, you know, it happens slowly, it happens gradually, um, it happens little by little, year by year. And, and, and we have seen demographic change, um, you know, hit, hit Japan in a way that um, it started to become palpable. Um, and you see that, um, you know, especially uh, uh, you, you feel that especially in in um, in, the, in the regions outside um, big cities, um, where uh, you know uh, you can find plenty of of, uh, of smaller towns and villages with you know half the population or more um, over the age of sixty five. Um, so, uh, so demographic change is is happening. Don't don't get me wrong. Um, uh, and I think Japan, uh, in this, in this way is, is, it's almost, um, the most important piece of, of the, the Japan as a kind of, um, frontline, um, or harbinger state puzzle, um, because demographic change is, is coming not only to Japan has not, you know, it's hit Japan, but it's, it's coming to the rest of the world too. And, and, um, it's, you know, uh, if you look at the, the UN, uh, um, UN figures, every single country in the world, every single country in the world is uh, at this stage is seeing uh, both growth in both the size and the proportion of the elderly population to, to the rest of the population. So that's the kind of aging, um, aging piece, um, the, the rising longevity piece. Um, and then one, you know, so, so I think we get to the point where by 2050, one in six people will be over 65 um globally and and the figure today is something like one in one in 10 or one in 11 um so so that shift is 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 going to happen in the rest of the world too um but we also see population decline so i think something like 50 50 or 60 countries um are projected to have their populations decline between now and and 2050 and that includes some big ones like like china and potentially even even india um so so these these shifts are coming, um, and and Japan is a good place to look to understand um, um, to understand what what they mean in in practice. Um, I think to, to your question, you know, uh, one, one potential answer is that um, it is possible to adapt um, to demographic change. That there are things governments can do um, in terms both of um, uh, getting people to 
stay active longer, work longer, and, you know, contribute um, both, both contribute, you know, to, to, to the broader economy, but also to their own well-being um, for longer um, things that the government can do to manage the, the sort of public finance side of it. So, so one, one answer to your question is that um, demographic change is, is, is coming, but demographic change can also, you know, be, uh, um, uh, countries can adapt to it. Um, a second answer, and this is, you know, this is where the, it's worth keeping an eye on Japan in, in the next, um, in the next decade or so, is that, um, you know, maybe we haven't quite hit the point where it gets, it gets really rocky yet. Um, and, um, what I mean by that is, is that, um, you know, when you look at healthcare costs, for example, um, they really start to rise when people hit 75, not 65. Um, and the baby boober generation, the biggest kind of, um, biggest, biggest generation in, in, in Japan is, is kind of hitting that point now. And um, I think, uh, you know, this year, technically they start to, to kind of enter that bracket. So, so you might see in the next, um, you know, 10 years or so, um, the fiscal side of it get a lot tighter. Um, the demographic impact, the, the impact of, of demographic change on, on, um, on the fiscal situation, on the economic situation, get, um, get a lot more intense. Um, so, so, you know, Japan is going to be tested in terms of its ability um, to to manage this kind of demographic transition, and and that you know will will push questions like immigration um, to the forefront. I think um, in a way that they they you know, have been avoided um, uh, largely. Uh, well, the, you know what? That's a, that's actually a great segue point um, to talk about politics because you're talking about now political issues. You know, ultimately. Um, political yeah. decisions would have to be made if, and that's, a, by the way, I've never heard, uh, I'm not a, a healthcare focused person, but I've never heard anybody actually make that distinction about uh, the aging, the costs of an aging society, meaning 65, you can still probably hang on, but when you get to the, you know, the average or whatever, the, I don't know if you're saying average or median, or I, I don't understand math either. So it's one of those at 75, that's really interesting. And so you're right. Keep your eye on Japan as, as a frontline or harbinger because it's going to happen there first. Um, but ultimately, those are political questions, right? The amount of entitlements that you're willing to spend and you can spend infrastructure, you know, how you, how you uh, provide the necessities, uh, as well as immigration, which, of course, has always been a major bugbear for Japan, and, and you have a section in the special report on immigration. So let's talk a little bit about politics. Um, yeah. Uh, we're two years out from uh, former Prime Minister Abe stepping down. He was in power uh, for eight years, uh, if I have that right. It's eight, it was eight years, um, which was the longest post-war record. Uh, before that, of course, we had uh, six years of one-year prime ministers, including Prime Minister Abe the first time. This just became seen in the West as an endemic feature of Japanese politics, almost making them like Italy, where you had uh, a, a ruling coalition, but constant turnover of leadership. Um, where does Japan stand today? Prime Minister Kishida has been in office uh, for about a year. Um, uh, they, they won an upper house election. So the Liberal Democratic Party, which has ruled Japan almost exclusively since 1955, though not entirely, uh, is is well ensconced. How stable is Japanese politics? Is it stable and responsive? 
uh, to the needs of society? Is it stable and unresponsive? How do you see Japan's, uh, with all of these issues and problems going forward, economy, demographics, how well positioned is the political system to take advantage of it or not to take advantage, but to respond to it? Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, again, I think it's, it's in some ways, it's, um, it's a question of, of, uh, of perspective. And if you look at Japanese politics, um, from, uh, from the perspective of someone sitting in, 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 in Washington DC, or, or maybe even in, in, in Brussels, um, Japan's stability might look envious. Um, uh, you know, you've avoided, Japan has kind of avoided the, um, at least um, uh, nativist populism that um, that you know a lot of other Western democracies have, have had to deal with. Um, uh, it you know has has basically um, uh, remained a, a pretty pretty stable um, uh, stable system uh, despite um, uh, the, the the turbulence elsewhere. Um, but I think that that is, in in my opinion, not the right. Um, way to to um to see what's happening here or or or, or not the most um useful kind of uh, uh framework for understanding what's happening in japanese politics and, and i think the real story is one of of a lack of competition um and i think uh you know it, it's obviously a, a long running story in in japan um as you mentioned the ldp has, has been uh, you know in power for, for virtually um uh, virtually un, un, uninterrupted since since 1955 but um but i think especially after the the the, uh, the opposition the, the dpj um lost power and uh, exactly um uh, uh, after they they lost power and 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 abe um and the LDP returned, um, we really haven't seen um, a viable kind of competition. Um, you know, Kishida ha- does have to worry about elections. Kishida does have to worry about losing seats, um, but not really to the extent that, um, you know, the LDP will will um, will lose power. And so um, I think a lot of the... Um, uh, uh, the, the the result of um, of this this kind of lack of competition is a is a, a lack of of responsiveness in the the national political system um, to changes that are are happening in society. It's a lack of sort of incentive for political leaders to take the kinds of risks that um, or or experiment um, in the kinds of ways that um, that might uh, uh japan might need to to meet some of these um challenges or to to kind of um uh overcome some of these these uh or or, or to, to adapt to some of these um trends that that it's on the, the front line of um so you know you see a lot of i mean talking to people yeah especially younger people here in japan there's a real sense that um uh that that politics isn't um uh isn't a place for them that it's not a place where they can have a voice that 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 if they want to make change in their society they're better off going to um into the private sector or going into sort of um uh you know ngos and civil society and volunteering um that um the political system isn't really responsive um to to um um to what uh uh what the population necessarily um, uh, is is looking for, and I think you see that in in you know 
um, especially on social issues um, uh, where the LDP is kind of out of step um, with, with where um, the population um, uh, has, has gotten to on the LGBT rights, on family law. I mean, the, the kind of issue of separate surnames. Um, so there's a, there's a, a sort of a, a very conservative faction within the LDP that that um, uh, that, that uh, in, in in a lot of cases kind of um, dominates um, um, or or sets the terms of the, the national political debate, and and those are are not um, uh, uh, not necessarily where um, society is. Um, I think with with Kishida, what we've what we've seen is is an attempt to kind of articulate. Um, you know, he he. Uh, I should say, you know, he, just 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 for a bit of background, Kishida um, uh, Fumio, the, the current prime minister, um, came to office um, late last year in, in October of, of um, September, October of, of last year uh, of twenty twenty one. He won a pretty um, the LDP won a pretty um, resounding victory in in um, uh, lower house elections um, uh, right after he took office uh, and they have a, an upper house um, election sort of looming in, in, uh, in July of 2022. Oh, right. And um, the lower house, the more important house that, that they won the big yeah. election and the upper house is coming forward. Right. Exactly. Um, and, you know, Kishida has kind of articulated this um, or, or set forward this really bold sounding agenda. He talks about new capitalism uh, and uh, he talks about uh, uh, he talks about wanting to make Japan a leader in terms of thinking about um, the shape of, of you know coming up with the shape of capitalism for the 21st century. The reality is that um, you know if you ask anyone in Tokyo about new capitalism, um, you get chuckles, people shaking their heads, um, jokes about, um, you know, uh, what does that mean? Um, because the truth is that there isn't really a concrete um, uh, vision there. Um, it's a it's a nice sounding um, slogan that has you know some, some elements that are are um, elements that are coming together, but that don't really amount to anything as as revolutionary as um, as what he uh, um, has laid out. Um, uh, but it but it 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 it's not. Um, uh, I think it does hint or it does um, uh, suggest that um, uh, Kishida's political instincts aren't, uh, are, are obviously pretty good for him to have gotten to where he is. So um, it, it does suggest that there is a kind of appetite for, I think, for more fundamental change or an appetite for um, kind of re- reconfiguring recalibrating rethinking the the structures um you know structures underlying japanese society um in 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 the context of um you know in this new 21st century context in the context of, of some of the challenges we've been talking about so the, the question for me is really can the system can the japanese political system you know produce uh, leaders or produce a leader or um produce uh thinkers who who can kind of flesh out um the um uh, the specifics who can can flesh out who can make um make a vision um like this um uh, into something in something real so let's turn uh since we're getting close to the end of time i want to turn to the last subject which is foreign policy and uh, kishida uh, prime minister kishida 
uh, and before him, Prime Minister Suga, who immediately succeeded Prime Minister Abe, inherited a much more, a very changed Japanese diplomatic foreign policy, foreign security um, strategy and, and portfolio, because that was what Prime Minister Abe really truly cared about. He had Abenomics, and that was significant in some ways. The economists can talk about it a lot better than I can, but foreign policy was really his first concern, if not his first love. And he and he really did move a lot and change a lot well, in Japan. And some things very, very significant, if not the great symbolism of, for example, getting rid of the pacifist Article 9 of the Constitution. Uh, so where is Prime Minister Kishida on foreign policy? Um, is he as hawkish as some believe uh, Prime Minister Abe was? Is he a supporter of the Quad? Uh, what is his view of working with the United States? Just give us a sense, if you can, of Japan uh, foreign policy, which seems to be far more forward-leaning than it used to be in the post-Abe era. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's it's a, it's the answer to that question is is sort of un, unfolding um, before our eyes as, as as we speak. I mean, we've seen um, Kishida just just uh, this past week in, in uh, making a big uh, trip to to India um, uh, to meet with uh, with Modi there, um, uh, and and that a lot of that is about kind of shoring up um, the Quad and and shoring up um, India's uh, India's role especially in light of india's position on on the russia ukraine um uh war um so there's a quad quad summit supposed to be happening in uh, japan supposed to be hosting um, later this year um so you know kishida is very much working i think within the framework the the broad um outlines the broad sort of framework that um that abe put in place um partly that's a result of you know uh, Abe's um, enduring um, influence. Partly, it's it's a result of, of inertia, but partly it's a result of of the fact that that there really aren't a whole lot of sort of alternative strategic options out there for for Japan. So, I mean, the the framework um, uh, I think you know can 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 be described um, uh, uh, partly is is about. Um, uh, strengthening Japan's own um, defensive uh, uh, capabilities, um, strengthening the SDF, um, uh, investing more in defense, and and you know under Abe they they didn't change the constitution, but they kind of did an an end round around um, Article Nine and and with the reinterpretation of the constitution and and um, uh, have made it possible for for the SDF to uh, to operate in in certainly in. A wider potentially operate in a wider um, range of contexts. So, so one part is kind of the domestic strengthening, and I think you see that with Kishida as well. Um, who you know, who uh, there's a, there's a big um, review of Japan's national security strategy uh, underway. There's going to be um, uh, uh, some real um, tough discussions about defense spending, and, and and it'll be interesting to see again how the, the situation in, in um, how Russia's war on Ukraine um, feeds into feeds into that here in, in Japan. Um, uh, the the second sort of piece of the the strategy is is diversifying um, Japan's partnerships, um, you know, building networks um, in the rest of the region. So we see that through the Quad. We also see Japan, you know, being quite active in um, 
in Southeast Asia. So this kind of shift from, you know, one, one pillar to multi-pillar as um, uh, Tanaka Sensei of, of uh, uh, Grips in, in Tokyo put it to me. Um, but at the same time, um, at the same time, you know, doing that as, as kind of as a way to double down on the alliance with America, um, that doing more, Japan doing more is a way to keep um, America, America engaged is a way to keep um, the alliance uh, uh, strong, um, and I think we see you know Kishida carrying on in, in that way too. Um, the the tension is that, um, and and this is where I think um, you know again it's it's uh, it's really worth watching Japan, keeping an eye on Japan. Um, you know the, the tension inherent in 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 Abe's strategy. Um, is is that it required a lot of um, balancing a, a real balancing act around China, um, uh, you know, an attempt to uh, compete but not um, uh, have confrontation, um, an attempt to sort of maintain economic ties with China, which certainly the Japanese business community is is keen to do, um, but not um, but at the same time, uh, you know, uh, uh, toughen defenses, uh, especially you know around the Senkakus, around um, the the Nansei Islands, the Southwest Island chain, and in, in Japan, um, with an eye towards um, you know ta- with an eye towards Taiwan. Um, and Chinese intentions around Taiwan, um, and you know Japan and 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 uh, Japan was was quite um, uh, has un- under certainly um, in in the last eight ten years I think has been understanding of the way that um, uh, a lot of folks in in Southeast Asia don't want to choose sides, don't want to be sort of forced into Cold War style blocks. And, and Japan, again, itself doesn't want to because Japanese business needs the Chinese market. And, and everything we've talked about about Japan's economy um, in, 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 in large part uh, you know, it, it, uh, is, is dependent on um, a continued um, relationship with uh, economic relationship with China. Um, um, so uh, I, I think that was always a difficult um difficult sort of line to, to toe and um, it's going to become more difficult and harder to sustain that balancing act going forward. And I think, you know, we're seeing that um, seeing the, the, the first uh, big test case of that now with, um, with, uh, with what's happening in, in, in Russia and, and Ukraine. And, and it's, it's really forcing folks here in, in Asia also to think about, um, you know, where, um, uh, uh, how their, their stances on that, um, uh, on that war, um, place them vis-a-vis the U.S., place them vis-a-vis China, place them vis-a-vis um, uh, each other, um, and so it's it's a real um, uh, it's it's going to be a difficult um, difficult period for Japanese foreign policy, and and uh, I think Kishida's uh, uh, we're, we're 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 going to find out in um, uh, in the next few months, um, you know how how Kishida. Um, uh, uh, how Kishida will, will handle it. Well, that's a great look. I'll tell you, I wasn't, I know Japan, of course, I lived there and taught it. I wasn't sure we'd, we'd have an hour of full worth of material. And I, I feel like we've actually just started. There's each thing that you said, we could now go on to part two because, you know, you, first of all, you laid it out really wonderfully. You made things. I think the context you gave is is really important in terms of understanding where Japan sits 
in the midst of all these changes that are both domestic and external. But it, that was also sort of a 101, and we got to go to 201. There's, there's, there's so much more on, on each of these. And I actually find it incredibly heartening in a way that, that this country really still is something that uh, people need to pay attention to, not because it's perfect, it has enormous problems. We didn't talk about poverty in Japan. We didn't talk about women's issues in Japan. We didn't talk about continued uh, ecological issues in Japan, though, of course, um, those have gotten much better over over decades when you look at the long run. Um, but uh, we get the sense now of why, whether it's whether it is the frontline state, the harbinger state, or simply a country that has dealt with an enormous number of challenges and is and and has dealt with, uh, you know, dealt with them. I would say not unsuccessfully. Um, in many ways, even if they're ongoing, is something to keep in mind. So, Noah, last question. Clearly, as we can tell, and I'm looking at you, you're an American. You're an American. I'm an American. How in the world did you get hired by The Economist? I thought you had to go to Oxford or Cambridge to get hired <laughs> by those guys. Uh, so did so did I. Uh, no, actually, you know, these days the um, uh, the Economist is uh, 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 there. There are a lot more Americans in the Economist than um, than maybe uh, uh, they'd like like me to admit um, publicly. But um, I joined the Economist from uh, uh, from Moscow or from from uh, uh, from Russia, uh, where I had been uh, working uh, writing for for a bunch of different publications. Um, the New York Times included, and and um, I was helping cover the first phase of the war in, in Ukraine and uh, the annexation of Crimea, the, the uh, war in, in eastern Ukraine, and and uh, um, the way you know it's the way things things often happen in life. Um, someone needed uh, someone needed a, a substitute for a couple weeks of of. Uh, you know, holiday or book leave. I forgot what it was. And, and, uh, um, I got asked to, to help out and, and, uh, you know, one, one thing led to another and, and, uh, uh, eventually, uh, led to, led to, um, uh, a, a full-time, um, position. So, um, it, it's, uh, I, I feel very lucky to, um, to have joined, um, to join, have joined the economist to be able to write for the economist, um, in part, because, uh, I think we're, we're one of the, few remaining publications um global publications that um can do the kind of thing like these special reports um that can dedicate uh 10 15 pages to um a deep uh deep dive on a country that might not be in the headlines um in a in a kind of newsy way but that is is nonetheless um uh, as we've we've discussed um uh uh extremely relevant to uh, uh to the, the uh, to the future um, for, for all absolutely. of us. Absolutely. Um, and of course, no, I'm, and I was joking about hiring Americans, though, if we, if we have colonized <laughs> economists, it's probably just another sign of, of you know, the coming end of times. But uh, of course, we, we had Dominic <laughs> Ziegler on uh, a few, uh, actually probably about a year ago now, and talking about Burma it was just a fantastic interview. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of folks over there, Edward McBride, who's the Asia editor, and and of course, you know, deeply respect the talent and the depth uh, of of the bench uh, in, overall. But of course, in in Asia, which is you know very hard to to really get deep dive. So obviously, a, a wise hiring move on their part, Noah. It, it's great to be able to talk to you from Tokyo for you to, to tell us why 
we need to keep our eye on Japan, which we will. I hope we'll have you back to actually really get to that 201 level of, of getting even in a little bit more deeply. Um, so uh, Noah Snyder, the Tokyo Bureau Chief for The Economist, thank you for joining the Pacific Century. Thank you for having me and look forward to, to, to coming back in, in the future. Well, I'm Misha Oslin, the host of the Pacific Century. Thank you for joining us and we will see you next time. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society and improve the human condition. For more information about our work or to listen to more of our podcasts or watch our videos, please visit hoover.org.